great to see you here at the Holy Spirit ministry service tonight. We believe that God is going to intervene in some of your lives this evening in a powerful way from the kingdom of God. You know, we're encouraged about how we're going to be moving forward on these Sunday evenings uh, in, in the next few weeks. Next Sunday evening, our own senior minister, Colin Dye, is going to be ministering at the Holy Spirit ministry service because certain things are going to emerge on these Sunday evenings and already a lot of preparation is going on behind the scenes. For example, yesterday the ministry team had some fresh training in ministry and also in the last year or so we have been working with uh, members of our cell groups who have prophetic giftings and we've had prophetic seminars with them and teaching and yesterday they joined with the ministry team uh, to have their training and so the prophetic ministry team is joining with and many of the ministry team are moving in prophecy anyway as you know but they're joining together so that we can strengthen the prophetic ministry and out of that comes healing and deliverance and manifestations on these Sunday evenings also uh, in the month of February we are revamping and revitalizing our youth ministry and so what, what we're doing in our youth ministry, just to sort of let you know, is that from now on, our youth ministry will be focusing on 14 to 16-year-olds, especially on Sunday mornings. And those 14-year-olds, many of them, 40 of them came from the children's ministry. They've now sort of moved from the children's ministry into our 14 and 16-year-old ministry that we have on Sunday mornings. And for those two years that God has given us those 14 to 16-year-olds in that ministry, we're going to have a new curriculum. We're devising it right now. We asked ourselves, what sort of 16-year-olds do we want to see at Kensington Temple? That's what we asked ourselves. And we said, we want 16-year-olds that are bold and confident in their faith. We want 16-year-olds that aren't intimidated at school, work, or college. When people ask them questions like, how do you know this is the Word of God? They won't just say, because my mum told me, or because my pastor said so, but they'll have reasons to defend the Bible as the Word of God. When somebody comes up to them and says, how, how come you believe Jesus is the Son of God? They'll have reasons. Not only that but they'll know how to evangelize. We're going to train them in evangelism and witness and answering questions and defending their faith. We're also going to train them in those two years as young men and women, we're going to train them how to actually put their faith to work. You know, often young people are brought up with, well, I believe in God and I pray, but they need to know how to apply their faith for a victory. How many of you know um, faith has application? And so you don't just like, oh, well, I pray this or I pray that or I'm sure hoping that God's going to come through. In this day, day and age, we want 16-year-olds that know the principles of faith and confessions, how to go through a trial so that whatever they're dealing with, they can apply the faith principles for their breakthrough. They know how to pray and get results with God. They know how to be disciples. So it's going to be like a two-year Bible school for these 14 to 16 year olds and then when they become 16 then they will graduate and they will join with the adults in the adult cells and they will be part of the men's net or the girls will be part of the women's net and they'll enjoy everything that we do as men together if we have a men's outreach they'll be along as young men 16 year olds onwards but at the same time even though they'll be with the men they will also, their cells will be known as young adult cells 
because there's certain things they want to do together with people of their own age. And so um, they will be in cells of the same age group and, and around. And those young adult cells will reach out to other young adults over 16s in their workplaces, colleges, schools, and things like that. And also, they're going to be focusing on Friday nights, because in March, Friday nights, we're going to make that a young adult's night. We won't call it young adult night, but it's going to be like Friday Night Live. We want this place to be a happening place for those types of people. And they're going to decide what we do on Friday evenings, the bands that we have, the things that's going to make this thing go. And it's going to be a night where they can bring friends and, and just have a night out here at KT with gospel, music, praise, and really strong Christianity. So they're going to do that. But also... When they become young adults, they're not going to be going to the Sunday morning anymore. They're too old. They're 16. They're young men and women. They are going to be joining us in March. Some of them are already coming in March. They are going to be joining us for the Holy Spirit ministry service. Not only are they going to be joining us, they're going to be ministering. And so during February, we're going to train all those young adults train them how to move in the Spirit. Some of them know how already. Train them how to prophesy. So they're going to come out 14 to 16. We're going to put God's word in them, God's faith in them, God's victory in them. We're going to give them that firm foundation. And then they're going to come out of that and, of course, they'll have their Friday evenings. But they're going to start coming to the revival service where they can keep in a revival anointing on the cutting edge of what God's doing and get involved in it. So 7, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds brought up in the things of God and the things of this house. So pray for them because they're in preparation. It doesn't happen until March. We're just getting things ready and getting people orientated in their right cell. But th that's going to be strong. So we've got the prophets that have joined us. We've got the young adults that are getting ready to join us. And also Christian Lyth, who had his baby dedicated today, if you were anybody at the 11 o'clock or, or across the corner to see that, had his firstborn dedicated. It's so wonderful to see. And uh, he is going to be organizing uh, a, a revival outreach team. And so what's going to be happening in, I think, I think it's going to start in February. I haven't touched base with him. But what's going to be happening is we're going to be sending teams out on Sunday afternoons onto the streets to preach the gospel, to pray for miracles right there on Sunday afternoon, to invite people to come to the revival service. And then what will happen is those evangelists will come. And hopefully they'll bring some people to the services, but, but even, even if they don't bring all, everybody to services, they'll come up, they'll be praying before the service, and they'll be coming on the platform to give testimonies of what happened that very day. So we're moving forward in ministry in these evenings. We're getting stronger. God needs a people that will believe him for breakthrough, not just for their own personal lives, but breakthrough for the city, breakthrough for the nation. And we believe that we have a part to play in that on Sunday evenings. So I'm going to, in, I'm going to ask the ministry team that are here tonight to come up on the platform, please. And we're going to hear from the Lord about some issues in your lives or some healings. Uh, so come up on the platform. And then uh, the worship team straight after that, we will, we will be ministering. So just want them to be ready. So come up. Let's welcome the ministry team that are here tonight. And they have been seeking God on your behalf um, throughout the week and yesterday. And yesterday they were ministering to one another. Uh, come forward a little bit. And, um, and so here we are. And you know, how many of you know the Lord speaks through his body? And so 
God can do through all of us together on this platform, can release words and miracles and ministry in like five minutes amongst many of us, so much easier than if it's just one person is trying it. Because one person can't hear everything that God wants to do tonight. I don't believe one person can. Or if he did, if it did, if he or she did, we'd be here all night, wouldn't we? So we've got words that, that you've been praying for, and there's no pressure, of course, but some of you have been seeking God. And I just want right now in this time, let's just open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the next few minutes of ministry. Lord, we invite you to come amongst us in the gifts of your Spirit. Lord, there's people with needs that need a breakthrough, people that need a healing. As we're gathered in your name, in your house, Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring the gifts of God right now amongst us. Let there be a manifestation of the, of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's your ministry. Release it among this body here tonight in Jesus' name. Okay, anybody got something? Ministry team? Yeah, yeah come forward. Nice loud voice. Um, I was praying um, earlier, and the Lord gave me a vision of a, of a teacup and a saucer, which, is, um, which was perfect. There was something brilliant about the base of it, especially. And I just, in sharing it with the group, felt that the Lord was saying that he wanted to help restore the, the brokenness um, and fill us with the glory of, of God. So if there's anybody who wants particular prayer about seeking that perfection and becoming more brilliant and much more like God's fullness and what he expects of us then yeah wonderful so so if that touches you this restoration this restoration this wholeness there's going to be opportunities to pray for and and you can come to those that give prophecies you know um, as much as possible sometimes we'll spread things if there's too many on one but the person that gave that prophecy it's a good idea to go and have them pray who's next as we're seeking God yesterday um, the, the Lord gave this word he want to restore families because there are a lot of problems in families uh, broken relationship the Lord we want to restore families to bring the heart of children to the parents and the parents to the children and uh, today we were uh, praying to prepare for this evening the Lord put in my spirit that he's going to heal somebody with prostate cancer and if that person is not here, a family member can be here. And the Lord is healing that person tonight. So we're going to be praying for people with family relationships. While they were praying earlier, they believed that God wanted to touch, to bring wholeness to family relationships, to perhaps mother-child or father-child situations. And also God wants to touch people who are suffering from prostate cancer. So if you're suffering from that tonight, going to ask you to come forward or if you know somebody that's suffering from that that's the word that we're going to do so the word that's relevant to you just hold it for a few minutes yeah the word that's because some things will come from this platform and it won't be for you but some things will come and it is you hold it because we're going to minister uh, 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 to you who's next yeah as we were praying downstairs and they were praying for a lady, and um, I saw a vision really clear. It's like a dry desert. With uh, the lady specifically, was 
was under the big tree, which it deserved very dry, but with the really small trees, really beautifully, and uh, with so many roads. And uh, now, as we were praying, I think there is more people which the Lord wants to reach to do the work of God. But the roads around, they bring destruction. Only. Dry desert? Yes, dry desert. You see desert. trees there? Yes. And there is uh, a big tree in the middle, a big tree like an oak tree. Like a big oak tree in the middle. Yes, yeah. very big. And uh, the specific lady was under the tree asking for, I don't know. But what's what I don't know what means is there were a big road and with so many roads in the desert. So what do you think God's saying through the desert and the trees? The desert, the tree, I think uh, the big tree represents the Lord who can, yeah, under him, we can be protected yeah. and receive everything we need. And the other trees, this means us as we come together on his presence. And the roads mean that there is a distraction road and world which can take us from the vision and the purpose of God. So we have roads of distraction, desert places where we are, but we have a beautiful oak tree that represents the Lord and you're seeing people in his shelter. So tonight we're going to pray for people who God is calling you to come under his shelter again. Out there in the desert, it's dry. And those roads, some of those roads you're following, they're not going to bring you the happiness, the peace, or the healing that you need. So you need to abandon some of the paths that you're taking. You need to come out of the desert and out of the glare of the sun and of, of, the, of the shining sun and the tribulation and the heat that's scorching and you need to come back under the place of safety. God is your stronghold. He's your strong tower. He is the tree that won't be removed. And when you come forward for ministry, if this applies to you, you will be placing yourself back in his shelter where peace will be. Who's next? Yes, Marcia. And then, come on. So um, there's a couple of people, and um, they wanted to die. Just want to to give up because they feel that um, they've got no hope, and that um, just feel that no one cares cares about them. So they just want to die. But there's one specifically that I want to um, to, to talk about as well. Is that as I was praying, I I saw someone who was watching on the internet or on the TV at home and they they had a gun to their head and it's like you was going through some really difficult problems and you just felt that enough is enough I just want to die I just want to tell you that God loves you so much and if you trust him you will turn your situation around just believe you don't have to do what you're going to do he loves you I also had another um, 
picture that some people have problems with, with, with breathing. Um, it's like there's a hole in your chest and sometimes you get a bit shoved like that and then other times it's, 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 not, it's not all the time but sometimes you get really short of breath inside. Yesterday while I was praying um, in the group, we had four women in the group and it just came open to me that someone had um, something wrong with their bowels. And one of the lady had a gluten, well, milk tolerance and she was sick so we prayed for it. And then I, then it's like silver fell on the floor and I look at it and it's like the old copper silver, two shillings and sixpence and another girl. Um, remember Colin's um, prophecy about the finance in London and how that is affecting a lot of people and then she went on to pray into it and what came out is that a lot of Christian people are spending are overspending are borrowing money that they can't afford and, and things may look good now but it's you know they're just going over the limit all the time like over trading you know, and, and she says to be caution set caution against that so we pray for that tonight. Praying for just some of that. We're going to pray for people who... Yeah, we're going to pray for people who is having difficulty with their finances. People who have, um, like, intolerance with milk and cheese and wheat and that sort of thing. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. This morning, um, the, uh, the scripture that came to me that really, uh, really ministered to me was the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And it sort of, like, started from yesterday when we were in the ministry team training and uh, a lady said she felt um, chest pain and then there was someone that she prayed for but God sort of like brought new light to me in terms of his compassionate heart and specifically what uh, if you are here and you have like migraines or really strong like um, feeling a lot of pain um, you can still sort of like walk and everything but it's in the background like all over your head uh, migraines Yeah, that there are people here who live under fear and uh, panic attack, and the Lord wants to set you free tonight. Anyone else? Yeah. There are four people here who are struggling to say yes to the Lord. They are fighting with the Lord to answer the call. I think there are four people here. I'm sure there are four. If you can come later, so we can pray for you. Do you, have it, that's, do you have any more to expand on that? Or is it that, I mean, that yeah, might be Yeah, they've been battling with the Lord. The Lord. They know the Lord called them. I think the past three nights, you've been struggling, sleeping. You've been fighting. It's the time to surrender and come forward. Okay, that's good. Anyone else? Anyone else? Wonderful. Oh, Gabriel. Just to kind of back up with that, Bruce, um, what I was getting a lot was the submit to God. Um, verse and it ties in with a lot with what Flora was saying about needing you know you're trying to make things work trying to put in all your energy and it's like not working not working not working and God just keeps saying to you you need to submit you need to do what I'm calling you to do you need to do what I'm calling you to do and that will be easy it's not going to be an easy life you'll have lots of challenge, challenging things to push through but he'll do it with you as opposed to you trying to make another path go in your own strength thank you so we've had a number of words that have come out tonight and you know if the word applies to you and what we're going to do if the ministry team could go down now we're going to spend a time of ministry where you can come and anybody can pray for you you can go to the person that you heard during this time and we're going to minister and release 
that's God's words to us tonight. And if you're watching on the internet and you say, well, that was for me, well, we're praying for you as well here. Now, if tonight you go, oh, that's wonderful, but none of those words were for me. Well, this is what we're going to do while this is taking place. We're going to go deeper with God. While people are going to be delivered and healed and blessed and, and ministered to, and the Holy Spirit is being stirred, the rest of us, if we're not necessarily coming forward, and you're very welcome to, we're going to just take time in the presence of the Lord and minister to Him in praise and worship as He ministers to us. We're going to enter, we're going to make a conscious decision to step into a higher level of worship. Do you hear what I'm saying? A lot of high worship is simply a conscious decision to put aside distractions and say, do you know what? I'm being given an opportunity in these next few minutes to worship the Lord in a deeper way. And God, I'm going to go deeper with you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to open my heart in a deeper way. I'm going to ask you to come deeper in my life. I'm going, the quality of my words and praise is going to come from my heart. I'm going to do business with you in these next few minutes. Amen? Let's all stand together as we begin to worship the Lord. If you've heard any of these words, if you're upstairs, downstairs, don't be upstairs and think, oh no, it's not worth coming down. Trust me, it's worth coming down. When God speaks to you, respond. There's time for you to come down. We'll pray for you. Let's enter into the presence of the Lord together. Come out of your seats right now and we will minister to you at the front and we're believing that God is at work together. Amen.
blessing rest on us tonight on every single one of us let your Holy Spirit come afresh on our lives Lord just spending time in your presence we pray Lord that like sponges we will soak in your presence that will change us and soften us to the Word of God Lord hear our prayers this evening Lord make us into the people you want us to be the people strong of faith and, and, and strong in the word and spirit. Lord, we present ourselves to you tonight. Use us, change us, mold us, make us. We present ourselves. Lord, we're not perfect, but you're not asking for perfect vessels. You're just asking for willing vessels. So soften our heart 
that your will might find its place in our lives and that our lives would be worthy and that our lives would be lived in following you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Bless us. Amen and amen. Please take your seats. Wonderful. If you have your, thank you, thank you very much. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5. I'm going to give you one of the most important keys of the Christian faith that I can give you. And that is to look to Christ. Look to Christ. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's read Numbers chapter 21. And verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John. John chapter 3 and verse 14. John chapter 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Interesting, isn't it? One of the most famous verses in the Bible is for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. I mean, you still see it, don't you? Especially in America, basketball matches and big, and big NFL matches. There's always a Christian there who holds up 3.16 because that is the verse that can save you if you believe it. But isn't it interesting because, as I said, most times the verse is just plucked out, isn't it? And we know the verse, but I wonder how many of us tonight are watching on the internet would immediately go, ah, yes, John 3.16. 
That comes after John 14, talking about the serpent in the wilderness. So one of the greatest evangelistic verses of the Bible is actually set in the context of what we read in Numbers chapter 21. And that's one of the keys to understanding this verse, not just to give your life to Jesus for the first time, but in order to deal with any of the fiery serpents that the enemy sends your way, and when you find yourself in trouble or in difficulty, this is the key. It's the first thing that you must do, look and live. And so Jesus, in verse 14, reminded those that he was preaching to about the story in Numbers, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I want us to unpackage this in the final part of tonight. So we know that the children of Israel had sinned against God and sinned against their leader Moses. They'd put themselves in a place where they were vulnerable for the attack of the enemy. The serpent always represents the devil, doesn't it, in the Bible? Right there in Genesis, we have the, that Eve was tempted by the serpent. And it was the serpent that tempted Eve and Adam, and they both ate of the fruit, and the whole of humankind fell into sin. We can go to the end of the book in Revelation. And there also in the book of Revelation, the devil is identified in prophetic literature as the serpent. And so it's interesting in Numbers that it's the fiery serpents that were set loose against the people of God. And as they were sent loose, they were biting um, these people and they were dying. And this, these serpents, as they bit people, the poison was entering very quickly into their bloodstream and they were losing their life. Do you know the devil works by poison. Now, that's a physical picture of physical servants, serpents poisoning people. And what happens is the poison enters into the bloodstream very quickly. And that blood and the poison gets pumped around through the heart so that the, the poison spreads very quickly into the body, causing death. Well, the devil's not changed. He's just the same. And he seeks to poison our hearts. He seeks to get his poison in the hearts and lives of people, Christians and non-Christians, so that people become poisoned. What do they become poisoned by? The devil's lies. That's right. The devil's lies are poisonous. And we've just come out recently of a vision week, haven't we, um, I hope many of you are able to come to some of the Vision Week. And the Vision Week that our senior minister brought us into was talking about pulling down strongholds. And if you're a cell leader and you were there that Wednesday night, Colin was talking, wasn't he, about praying for the lost. And during that time, we began to pull down strongholds of the mind in those people that we were trying to bring to Christ. Because the Bible makes it clear that devil has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel. It's true, human beings 
are responsible for their own unbelief, but the devil comes in and adds his blinding. And how does he blind people's minds? By his lies, by his poison that infects the heart of man. And what is the heart of a human being? We're not, I'm not talking now about physical poison and physical heart. I'm talking about the spiritual poison of the enemy, his lies. But the heart, what is the heart? When Jesus says the sower comes and sows the seed into the soil, and depending on the state of the soil, that seed will be received. The Word of God is the seed. And if the soil is right, the seed will reproduce according to its seed. So the devil comes and he tries to place his poisonous seed in the soils of our hearts. Jesus said the soil is a man or a woman's heart. Jesus says, you know, food won't make you unclean. What comes out of a person's heart, that will make you unclean. Anger, murder, adulteries, filthiness coming out of your heart. So we understand that the devil tries to blind us by poisoning our heart against God and God's Word. Most people that are poisoned by the enemy in their heart, they don't even know it. They don't even realize it because the poisoning is a hardening poison. It is a poison that blinds your thinking. How many of you know the devil tries to do that with Christians? He tries to get his poison of bitterness, anger, or unforgiveness in our hearts about someone. And you know, the moment that you allow bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, these things room in your heart, what are you doing? You're giving a foothold to the devil. You're giving a landing strip for him to come. The moment we give over to these things, the poison is beginning to spread through our life system. And what that poison does, it's like any poison. You begin to lose your focus. When poison hits you in the physical realm, what happens is your mind starts to go bleary. You start to see, start to see um, illusions and visions and, and your mind goes and your senses go and you're thinking, what, what's going on? What's, what's happening to me? You don't even know it, but the poison is in your system, poisoning your mind. Most people, when their mind or heart is poisoned by the enemy, they don't even know they're poisoned. Oh, the devil's a liar. But we are not ignorant of his schemes, Paul says. And the beautiful thing is, is that there is an antidote to the poison of sin. There is an antidote to the poison of the enemy. There is an antidote to the poison of unbelief, it's the blood of Jesus. The greatest medicine the world has ever known, the blood of Jesus is the antidote to sin and the devil's poison. The devil gives poison and sin spreads its poison. You know, sin is a liar. You know, sometimes you hear these terrible stories in the newspaper of some child that that goes and sees some sort of blue liquid under the sink. You know where I'm going, don't you? Ooh, that looks nice, and takes a drink. And that poison that looked so nice to quench their thirst, they thought it was Kool-Aid, they thought it was juice, and that poison destroys them physically. Or you hear about people that drink something unwittingly, unknowing that that is not the drink that they think it is. 
Well, that's what sin does. Sin comes and says, have a glass of me. I'm bubbling, refreshing. I'm just what you need. Have a glass, have a draft. And you take a drink, and if you're not careful, hmm, tastes all right. So you take another drink. What does the Bible say about the pleasures of sin? But they're deceitful. And sin is poison, and it gets into your system. The wages of sin are death. Sin seeks to destroy. Sin seeks to grab hold of you and to dominate you and bring you into captivity. But thank God, thank God, if you, there is a blood transfusion. There is a blood transfusion from Calvary. And when you get the blood of Jesus working in your heart, you get healed, delivered, made whole, made free. You, you move into strength and healing and power. And so they were in a state where they were being poisoned and they didn't know what to do and they came to Moses. And they said, Moses, help us. And he prayed to the Lord. And isn't it interesting, the Lord told Moses to make an image of the very thing that was destroying them. I think that's strange. You know, why would you... Make a serpent to deal with a serpent. Maybe they should have done like a Holy Spirit dove on a pole. That would be a lot more Christian, wouldn't it? A Holy Spirit dove. Or a little Alpha and Omega. Or write Shalom in bronze. Or something nice, something Christian. Something, you know, the Lord is your healer banner on a pole. And everybody looks at that. But no, he said, make an image of the very thing that is poisoning them. And lift it high up. I mean, imagine the scene. Hundreds and thousands are, 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 are dying and, and, the, and the, the plague of serpents and its poison is spreading through the camp. And I mean, imagine how you feel. I mean, imagine these serpents. You'd be like this, wouldn't you? Although, oh. You'd be thinking, what's, you'd be looking everywhere, they're everywhere. And, and, and just round the corner, then suddenly something bites at your ankle. And you think, oh no, one got me. Their eyes were on the ground where the serpents were. Of course they were. They were looking to make sure. But Moses said, I want you to make a serpent, but I want you to lift it in the air. A bronze serpent. And whoever takes their eye off the serpents on the ground and has faith to look up and look. All they had to do was look. They didn't have to pray. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to touch it. All they had to do was get their eyes off the serpents on the ground and get their eyes on the serpent on the pole. And the Bible says, those that looked were healed. One look. I bet they built that pole as high as they could to get it as high as possible. So all those millions of, of people, the three million that were in the wilderness at that time, that everybody could just, I mean, lift it high. I can imagine Moses saying, lift it high. No, lift it higher. It's not higher enough. We're talking about millions of people here. They can't see. Get up on that hill. Get this serpent higher. It's not high enough. Lift him higher. Lift him higher. I mean, we were singing, weren't we? Lift up Jesus higher. Why, do we, why would we sing? Lift him higher, higher. Why would we sing that? It comes from this. Lift that. Because if they can't see it, they won't be healed. The other thing about this serpent is that it was bronze. Now, all you Bible scholars know what bronze means, don't you, in the Bible. What does bronze mean? Okay, all you Bible scholars that 
left at the five o'clock teaching service. <laughs> bronze, in the Bible, bronze is often used as a symbol of judgment. Judgment. Very often you'll find that bronze is a symbol of God's judgment. And so he said, make it not in gold. You'd have thought, oh, make a beautiful gold one or a silver one. It's, it's going to be precious. He says, no, make it of bronze because there is judgment involved. The people were being judged, weren't they, for their sin? But now, when they looked up to the bronze serpent, they would be healed from the judgment of God as they looked at the judgment of God in bronze on that serpent. And it is funny, you know, the potency and powerful imagery of this serpent on a pole. We've got any nurses here tonight? Yeah? Have you ever had a badge with a, with a pole with a little snake on? You've seen it. You know it. Those of you that know things about medicine, sometimes you see it in certain times of am ambulance, don't you? Have you ever noticed that? You see a pole, and there's a little snake wrapped around it. I mean, if you didn't know your Bible, you'd go, what is that about? Come, get in the ambulance. I'm not going in there. It's got snakes in it. You've got a pole with a snake on it. What sort of, what sort of healing symbol is that? I mean, one of my favorite hospitals is Great Ormond Street, or Gosh, as they call themselves. Great Ormond Street Hospital. I love them. I love them. And, and, and I love their imagery, and of course, um, very strongly in Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children is um, Peter Pan, because all the rights to Peter Pan, if ever Peter Pan is done in a film or any, all the rights, they don't go to the author who's long dead, all, all, all the rights and the royalties, sorry, they go to Great Ormond Street. And, but also, one of their symbols is a lovely teddy bear. A lovely teddy bear who's just a little bit poorly. It's like that children in need as well. They have a lovely teddy, just a little bit. Now, that's a nice picture of being healed. But a snake on a pole, would you come to, come to my surgery? You won't miss it. There's a snake outside on a pole, you know. But we're used to that. We're used to that. We think about that. But we shouldn't lose its potency and power. Because when we come to John... Jesus says, look, just as what happened in Numbers, that has to happen today. As, the son of, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He's saying, just like they looked at the serpent on the pole, if someone looks at Jesus on the cross with faith, they shall be saved. Um, I'm a great student of Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest preachers that Great Britain ever knew and that London ever knew. Uh, he was pastoring a church of six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people in the Victorian era. He would regularly have gospel crusades where 20, 25,000 people would gather. He would preach his sermon on Sundays and they would be in the city, London City newspapers on Mondays. His sermon transcripts were taken to Victoria, Queen Victoria. I mean, the guy was moving in the spirit. And he got saved by a sermon, by a sermon 
on the serpent on the pole. And it's a lovely story he tells. It was a freezing cold wintry day and the snow was absolutely piling down and he was in the streets, not saved. He'd been brought up a Christian but hadn't given his life to the Lord. And, and he saw a little chapel and he saw that the windows were on, something was happening. And purely to get out of the snow, Charles Haddon Spurgeon went in to this little chapel, and before he realized it, because if he'd known, he wouldn't have gone, he was in a primitive Methodist chapel. Now, the primitive Methodists, if you thought the Methodists in their heyday were fire-breathing Christians, the primitive Methodists came back when they thought that the Methodists had backslid, and I mean, they were like the, they were like the crazy Pentecostals of their day. They were street preachers. They laid hands on anything. They cast out the devil. I mean, they were incredible. So he got into this thing and he thought, oh no. I mean, one of these crazy primitive Methodist meetings. And there was only about eight or nine people there. And they were all primitive Methodists. And being great soul winners, as soon as the preacher saw that there was a new one in tonight, he changed his sermon. Everybody looked and thought, come on, get him, get him. That's what they were on, you know. And so he began to preach. And Charles Spurgeon, one of the most educated preachers, he said, this man didn't, could hardly speak. He was obviously, you know, very much a, a poor workman, but he was preaching that night. There's probably only nine people there because he, he didn't know what to say. He said, but he just started saying, look and live, look and live. One look and you shall live. One look at the master and you shall live. See him on the cross, look and live. Look and live. And he began to turn <laughs> to Charles Spurgeon. And they were bold in those days. You know, there was no seeker-friendly churches amongst primitive Methodists. Young man, look and live. Look to Christ tonight. Look and live and you shall be saved. And he just kept repeating the same thing. Look at him on the tree. Look at him bleeding for you. Look at him giving his life for you. Look and live. Just one look and you will live. And there, that night, Charles Haddon Spurgeon got born again. And you know what? He never moved away from that sermon. Because although he was the prince of pe preachers, and although he would grace, his sermons would, I mean, even today people are preaching his sermons. Preachers are taking his sermons, learning from them, and preaching his sermons. Some of my best sermons were Charles Spurgeon's. Well, I don't know if I should have said that. So you go off and read his and, and say, oh, I know what, you come tell me what I preach next week. And although he was a great theologian, mighty in word and understanding, do you know what? He never left the simple truth that all you have to do to be saved is to look and you will live. And... We need to lift up Jesus higher because the devil, you can imagine what the devil, the devil doesn't want that pole high. The devil wants it low. The devil, you can imagine if the devil was around, I don't know if he was during that time when the serpents, he'd be saying, someone get that pole down. Send those serpents to the pole holder. Somehow, if we can release the hordes of hell and get that pole down, out of sight, where nobody can see they're all perish. And that's what the devil wants to do today. And that's what he's trying to do, working through governments and different areas. They're trying to get the cross down, out of sight. More and more, 
People are saying, you can't share your faith here. You can't share your faith there. In other words, get the pole down, Christian. Get the pole. And if someone can't see the cross and Christ crucified, how can they get saved? Now, Jesus was on the cross. And it's amazing, isn't it? Because we talk about a serpent to deal with the serpent. Well, in one way, Jesus became a serpent on the cross, didn't he? You say, what are you talking about? Well, he didn't become Satan. He didn't become demonized or anything like that. But the Bible says he was made sin. In other words, though he was always the spotless lamb of God, always the spotless lamb of God, on the cross, he took upon him the sins and sickness of the world. On the cross, he took upon himself the judgment of God against all humanity, the bronze serpent. And God, the Father, his son was willing. God, the Father, looked at his son on the cross. And he said, you know what I'm going to do, son? Well, he told him in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where, that's where Jesus really understood about the cup that he was to drink, the cup of God's wrath. That on the cross, God, God the Father said, you know what's going to visit you, son? I'm going to visit upon you all my wrath against the sin of humanity. Every sin that's ever taken place is taking place or will take place. However heinous that sin, awful that sin, son, I'm going to place it on you, the Lamb of God, and then I'm going to judge you as a sinner, even though you are the Lamb of God, spotless. Not only that, son, not only am I going to put upon you the sins of the world, and judge you under those sins, and you will carry those sins, and I will strike you as if you had committed those sins, because you're carrying the sin bearer. But I'm not just going to put the sins on you. I'm going to put all the sickness that's ever taken place on you on the cross, and you are going to suffer for the sins of the world, and you are going to carry the sicknesses of the world. Are you ready to bear that? No wonder Jesus sweat blood in Gethsemane. No wonder he said, Father, all right, but if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way than me carrying the sins of the world and feeling your judgment for others' sins, if there's any other way than to have every sickness placed on me, and have to carry the sicknesses. If there's any other way, please let's do it. And then the father said, there's no other way, son. It's your choice. And Jesus said, well, then in that case, not my will, but yours be done. And on that cross, like a supernatural, spiritual magnet, as his arms are on that cross, lifted high, he began like a spiritual magnet, to draw out of the world all the power of sickness was drawn to him. All the power of sin was drawn to him. And sin and sickness, drawn like metal to a magnet, was drawn. Sin, past, present, future. It was all drawn to him and met the sin bearer and sickness carrier on the cross 
And on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you're carrying the sin sicknesses of the world. And he carried it on the cross. But thank God, just before he gave up his life, he said, it is finished. Done. Carried. And so now, when anybody looks with the eye of faith, at Jesus on the cross, their sin is drawn to the magnet of the cross out of their lives. Their sickness, we believe, although, of course, no one is fully healed from sickness on this earth, because until Jesus returns, death still reigns. But we know that Jesus has conquered death because he's raised from the dead, so we shall be raised from the dead. But still, the cross is there to, for us to believe that sickness can be conquered. And when Jesus heals sickness, he does it out of his mercy, but he does it as a sign saying, don't worry, death's going to be finished soon. Just one look at the cross. No wonder Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. In other words, I'm lifting up the pole. I'm lifting up the pole. I, I resolved. I could have preached on many things, Paul said to the Corinthians. But they were fleshly, backslidden. The Corinthians had been bitten by the sin, poison, and they were doing all manner of sinful, fleshly things. And Paul said there's only one way to deal with this sin epidemic in the Corinthian church. And that's not with clever-sounding wisdom. That's not with with preaching that's going to get applause. The only way to deal with this poisonous sin epidemic in the Corinthian church is to do what Moses did and what Jesus did. I'm going to lift up the cross. You know, if you're having problems with your churches or your cell groups and, and, and it's all going wrong, lift up the cross. If you're finding that your life is going this way and that and you're falling back into the hands of the enemy, get before the cross. Gaze on him. Understand again. Even with the Galatians, they were going the opposite way to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were sin-ridden. But the Galatians, they were ridden with religion and legalism. And uh, Paul is saying, how could you turn away from the simple gospel to your own religious acts, thinking somehow you can be good enough to get into heaven, Galatians chapter 3, before whom? Christ crucified was publicly portrayed. What did he do? He lifted up the cross. He lifted up the cross. You know, thank God for all the wisdom of the word. But in the end, you know what? Look to Jesus. With your problems, yes, we pray for wisdom and prophecy and help for you. But you know, in the end, just get back to the cross. That's where God's medicine is. That's the medicine of God, the blood of Jesus shed for you to cleanse you from your sins, to deliver you from the power of Satan, to place you back in your, in your, in your right mind. When you look at the cross that God sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, here we are, John three sixteen, shall not perish, but shall be saved, healed, delivered. 
The poison of the lies of the enemy shall be extracted from their mind. And by looking at Jesus on the cross and knowing he's not on that cross anymore, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, the cross worked. (laughs) The cross worked. Jesus is in heaven right now applying its victory. He lives evermore to intercede for you. Hallelujah. With nail-scarred hands before the Father, how can the Father receive the prayers of the one that carried the sins and sicknesses, defeated the devil in his power on the cross? It's all there on the cross. And you don't need a degree. And you don't need to have read the Bible from cover to cover. All you need to do is look. And then God's power and spirit begins to move. If we want to go forward, we've got to get back to the cross. Hallelujah. The cross. Cross Cross-centered, cross-preaching in the power of the resurrection. We preach the cross, but in the power of the resurrection. We focus on the cross, but in the knowledge of the resurrection. Hallelujah. And where the blood is, that's where the spirit will come in resurrection power. Every head bowed. Could there be someone here tonight And this is the first time that you will say, my goodness, what have you been doing? I've just been lifting the cross high, that's all. And every time we witness to someone, every time we speak of Jesus, we're lifting up Jesus like the bronze serpent. And anybody but looks with faith will receive salvation. With every head bowed tonight, if you are, you say, you know what, Is is that all I have to do? Yes. If you believe in your heart... And confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross, rose again as your Lord. That's all you have to do to be saved. And that sin that he already carried, if you look on him tonight, that sin will leave you and spring back to where it belongs 2,000 years on that cross where it was dealt with, paid for forever. Every head bowed. Is there anybody here? And you say, I'm ready. I've looked tonight. And I want to live. I've looked. I've heard what you've said. I've seen for the first time what Jesus did for me. Like the children in the wilderness, I'm looking up to you, Lord. I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. I'm not going to trust in anything, but you died for me. That's good enough for me to believe I'll go to your Father's heaven and your heaven. I just trust you, Lord. I look to the cross. That's all I cling to. And if this is the first time that you're saying, I'm doing that tonight, I want you to lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. And you will receive forgiveness of sins. It's important that you make a public declaration. Jesus died publicly for you. The Bible says we need to make a public, with our mouth confess, a public declaration. And if you really believe, it's not much to lift your hand and say, I believe that much to lift my hand tonight to be prayed for forgiveness of sins. Lift your hand right where you are now, downstairs, upstairs. If you're not sure about your salvation, lift your hand right now and you can walk out sure that you have been saved. He's just one look away. Lift your hand if that's you here tonight. Upstairs. 
downstairs. Lift your hand. If you're saying, tonight I want him. I want to be healed. I want to be saved. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. Okay. And for the rest of us as we close right now, we'll close with a, a, a celebration song. But just as we close, in the stillness of your heart, I'm asking you to get simple with God. In all your learning and your growing, this is all you really need. Look and live. If something's dead in your life, if something's dead in your circumstances, if poison has got in anywhere of the enemy, if bitterness, if any of these things, any of these negative things have got into your life or your circumstances, I want you right now to say, do you know what? I'm just going to look to the cross, trust in Jesus, and let him heal, save, and bring deliverance in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to stand together. Ministry team, come forward, please. We're going to stand together. We're going to go out with one song, but if there's something that you want to be prayed for, and you haven't had a chance tonight to be prayed for it, then during this song and afterwards, we'll make sure that if anybody wants prayer for anything specifically, we'll stay here and pray for you until that's all done. But God bless you. Next Sunday evening, our senior minister is going to be ministering at our Holy Spirit ministry service, and we look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. Let's stand together.